Today, I'm going to be interviewing Desi Cresswell. She is an award-winning interior designer who worked for large and world-renowned design and architecture firms prior to going out and establishing her own design practice. But after she experienced burnout and from endless to-do lists and competing interests inside her own work and home life, she left the industry and sought to find solutions for time management, work-life balance, and creating success that she truly self-defined. So in her quest to find a better way, she became committed to personal development and growth. Growth. This led Desi to blend her mindset with strategy to transform her own experience and realize that there is a need for this type of support within the design community. Desi is a certified life and business coach who solely helps interior designers, allowing them to stop feeling overwhelmed which allows them to know that they can intentionally build profitable, fulfilling businesses that enrich and support their lives as a whole. Desi has been featured on popular podcasts such as A Well-Designed Business, Wingnut Social, and Something About Interior Designers. She's also been a contributor to Designers Today magazine, and she is a co-author in Luann Nogara's latest book, A Well-Designed Business, Power Talk Friday Experts, Volume 2. It is my honor to talk to her today and really dive into the pain points interior designers face when doing home renovation projects. From designers who are new and want to offer this service to their clients to those designers who have done a few home renovation projects and aren't feeling the confidence that they need to do more of this work, as well as seasoned designers like me, who really miss the community of designers. So many of us work alone, and we don't get that emotional support. We have the confidence. We know what we're doing on projects, but there's always going to be this emotional support that is gold, that is something that every designer can benefit from. So, I want to hear from Desi what she finds to be roadblocks for interior designers when it comes to home renovation. So please help me welcome Desi Cresswell. Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. I can't thank you enough for doing this because you have, you know, I, being an interior designer, I, I have friends in the business, so I hear their wins, their losses, their frustrations, but I find that my, probably my circle of friends were very similar. So our, our wins, our likes, our frustrations are probably a little bit uh, along the same lines. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you, because you are a coach for interior designers, which is uh, long overdue, is probably, you know, a little bit of, of everything. Because most of the people I know, I've been doing it about the same. So we've got that same level of, of seasoned knowledge and things like that. But my whole goal for everything I've been doing online is, is to educate and 
give women particular um, knowledge. And someone did question me recently about, you know, is this something that a man could do? Could they join the course? And of course they could. And, mm-hmm. and I should be careful, but the problem is I can only give a woman's perspective because that's who I am. So um, that's always going to be how I approach everything. Yeah. Where my knowledge is, is based. So I'm going to do complete sense. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, and stereotypically interior designers are women. So yeah, well, and yeah. I think I think that men face challenges as well. Absolutely. But at the same time, they also have a lot of societal structures that support them, and so yeah. to have a little extra support for the women, I couldn't not agree a bad more. thing. I couldn't agree more. And even when I'm working with couples, I can't get inside their heads, but more often than not, the husband will show up in the beginning a lot, mostly to talk money and budget, mm-hmm. and then they typically tap the wife to manage the project. And it, it's not always because she's a stay at home. Actually, most of my clients are dual working. So, or dual income. So I, I can't say it falls into that. Well, she's home all the time anyway, category, but I find that, um, these are incredibly educated, smart women. Mm -hmm. And I, without me present, I watch them cave. The only way I can describe it is because they lack the confidence and the knowledge to say anything with conviction and, or I'll get the call. Hey, Renee, you know, are you coming this afternoon? Because this came up on a project on the project already, because I don't live at the houses. I don't live on the job sites. So, um, or I'll tell them, Hey, handle it this way. And they're like, Oh, great. Okay. I got to go before I (laughs) what you just said. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when COVID hit, I, I found I could help people remotely. I'll be honest, I never thought that was possible. I thought you really had to be in the trenches, standing there, seeing it to really effectively support someone. And, and I was wrong. And I helped people remotely. And we, now I couldn't help with exact things. I've FaceTime and Zoom helped. Mm-hmm. But um, being able to share the knowledge and at least the direction was, was really eye-opening. And it just took me on a path that I never thought I would be on. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think sometimes we're forced into that creativity and yes. And I think that's been one of the things that's really been kind of amazing about COVID with people altering their work structures and how they support clients and just seeing that there's more options available. Yes. And then the whole designer part, again, to be truthful, I never saw it coming. And again, I think it's because my circle of interior designers, it's what we do. So we, we have a baseline discussion. We don't, we don't have to explain jargon and, you know, we know what we're all talking about. And so when designers in the beginning were pinging me and saying, Hey, what does this mean? And what is that about? I'm going, Oh my gosh, you don't know. Like, wow. Okay. okay, You know, and, and of course I knew there were designers out there who just solely decorated and I just figured they had no interest in renovation. It's, it's a totally different beast. You know, it's Mm -hmm. 30. I I don't wear a lot of pretty dresses. I don't wear (laughs) flats. I don't wear open toes. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in nice looking construction type clothes. And so I was, at first, not hesitant, but it was more like, what do I do with you? You know, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I'm here for the homeowners, you know, what do you, what do you want from me? Yeah. And then we just sort of figured it out. It was wonderful. Cause I, I, I have truly never done anything. I had two summer jobs in college and every other job in my entire career has been in the design field. And, and I am, you know, I believe in the education of it. I believe in all of the licensing. I, 
took the same paths you did. Mm-hmm. And, and I firmly believe I'm better suited for the job because of it. And not to say you can't do this without the education and the, the licensing, but if I can do anything to move our industry forward and more professionally, I'm all in, literally all in, mm-hmm. because I do feel we are sidelined. We're not taken as true professionals. What we do is fun. Or you see on the HGTV channels, you see all these, you know, smoke and mirrors. And at the end, it's glamorous. And, you know, that drives me crazy. So if I can do anything to help elevate a professional and make them even more professional and add something to their offerings to clients, I'm literally all in, really. Yeah. And I think so much of what you're doing is really, you're providing them with knowledge, but you're also providing them with confidence in their skills. And so that's whether it's showing themselves that they can handle a renovation project or offer that as a new service to their clients. I mean, that level of confidence that comes from learning new skills and showing yourself you can do it, that's just going to have a ripple effect into the rest of their business as I see it. I agree. And I am the first to admit it took me way too long to lean on the confidence that I should have had decades before I ended up having it. And that was, you know, my own issues and my own insecurities about the business. But I think, you know, I had decades to learn this and and I know how long it took me to feel confident. And so if I can speed up that path by being the behind the scenes, being that person they can reach out to and say, this just happened today. I got to be in a meeting in the morning and I don't know what to do. I'm thrilled. I wish I'd had that. There were some circumstances in my career that were out of my control and I forced me to go out on my own probably a good five or six years before I had intended. And so that confidence, that lack of confidence that I sort of faked it until I, until I made it, I get that. And I really wish, you know, this was long before I'm going to age myself. It was before the internet. So I really wish there had been some sort of resource that I could have reached out to and said, you know, this is what I just saw on the job site. And what do I do? There wasn't that for me. And so I, I made mistakes. I still make mistakes. Right. And, and so we're always going to be learning. And I think, I think sometimes interior designers get hung up on that truthfully, because we're creative, but we also tend to be a little type A, which mm-hmm. I don't think people see as a, you know, as a, a logical connection. And so if they can't control a situation, I find that they sort of freak out and freaking out has no place on a job site. I've learned I have freak, freaked out on them long, long time ago, and it got me nowhere. So, um, yeah, yeah, I do think if I can be that person or build the community that people can lean on, I, I think is would be amazing. I wish I'd had yeah. it really. And really allow designers to give themselves permission to lean on each other. Absolutely. Because I think also where there's sort of this pressure to know it all. I think that's kind of where you were going with this type A of like, if we can know all the things, then we know exactly what's going to happen. And I can prevent anything bad from ever happening. And Wouldn't that's that be just, nice? <laughs> just not realistic. Right. And so I think whether you're leaning on the support of a coach, another design friend, an online community where you're gathering information and resources, whatever it is, yeah. learning how to be comfortable with not knowing it all, I think is is a huge skill to be cultivated. Because I agree. honestly, when I coach people on this, they don't want to be perceived as not knowing everything. 
But at the same time, when we talk about the flip side of what if you did know how to do everything, they're like, I'd be bored. Well, yep. I wouldn't be human. Yeah. You would be human. First of all, you would be a robot that could perform one set of tasks repeatedly in an assembly line. Yeah. And where's the curiosity in your day? Where's the exploration? I mean, it's part of, I think the creative process is not knowing where everything's going to go or not having it fully in your control. And I'm wondering, tell me if, you know, when I think of my, about my decorating side of the business, a lot of those projects do have a common path, right? And whereas construction, while people want to think it's a common path, there's no two projects that are alike. Even if the scope of work is the same, the physical building is different, the teams are different, you know, there's always a bunch of unknowns. And I wonder, does that make interior designers reticent? from taking it on because there is no predictability. Um, you know, I mean, when you're doing a decorating job, you come in, you meet, you define the so- scope of work, you go do the research, you present, they like, or they don't like, you, you know, you go to second round. You're like there is a really pretty logical path, but when you all bets are off in construction. So do you find that interior designers that, that to me, that's appealing. I'll, I'll be honest. I love the thrill of a new project and the fact that they aren't the same. And I'm assuming that's why I was drawn to it or stayed in it. Mm-hmm. But do you find that to be a hurdle, a mental hurdle for your designers? Mm. Well, since you touched on the mindset piece of it, <laughs> All I'm going to push back a little bit here and you can tell me what you think. Yeah. So I personally think that this belief that no two projects are the same is a mindset piece or a belief that tends to hold people back. Because I think that it's sort of putting us in this black and white situation where it's like, well, every project is exactly the same and I can control it or there's just like no knowing what's going to happen. And I completely agree that especially with renovation, you're never going to know exactly what's going to be behind that wall. But I think when we when we talk about it as no two projects alike, what I often hear is abdicating the control that we do have over the project and the similarities that do exist and the confidence and skill level that we do possess in figuring things out. So I think that, yes, I totally agree. You don't know exactly what's going to happen with a project, but ultimately we have more power in that situation than we think. And we can always focus on what we can control. So what are the proactive things we can do to anticipate issues? And then also what can we rely on in terms of ourselves when things do go wrong? Absolutely. And and you're right. There are certain components that can be controlled. And that's why it's probably a little bit of that 50-50. That's probably why interior designers fall into this role because there is that sort of pattern. It's just the the path has different bends and twists that hits the same milestones, Mm -hmm. but takes a different path each time. And that is more driven by the team or the personalities of the team that's making it up or the home and the physical conditions of the home and the age of the home. And, you know, the quite frankly, the budget. You know, there are lots of components that come into every project, but you're right. There are similar milestones in every construction job. It's just the path can take a squiggle, a straight line, a zigzag, 
you know, off the path and right back on in the next day. So I, I agree. But do you have a lot of clients that are doing the home renovation management? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's a really great business opportunity to provide you with variety during the day. It's great when you have established relationships with a client and they say, oh, we're ready to do this next thing and to be able to serve them in that new way. I think there's a lot of great potential. And I think part of that potential really is getting comfortable with those squiggles and with the offshoots and the complete detours and making it all an experiment. Right. And the problem is, uh, or at least what I see is the experiment highlights their insecurities, the designer's insecurities. And if they're not careful, they can either overwhelm the designer or overwhelm the project, neither of which are good, right? Neither of which will bring a positive experience to the contractor who may or may not now recommend them for another project or the client who may or may not now recommend them to their friend group. So how do you feel in something you just said in that the client experience. I'm finding a lot of questions come from designers because this one woman said, I felt dragged onto my first renovation project by my client because we had decorated the house and then they were renovating a bathroom and the client, and she said, wouldn't let me not do it. Mm -hmm. And so I find that they're sort of dragged into these situations by clients, which is great, right? The client is seeing the confidence in the designer that the designer might not be seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's like, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. And and that makes me anxious. Are you finding that your clients are, are sort of in that camp? Or are they ones who have done this for years and years and are more seasoned? I think there's kind of two different camps. The designers that I work with that are in the earlier stage of their business. So they're starting to build that momentum, starting to build that clientele, get referrals, that kind of thing. I think there is that level of a little bit of intimidation of defining what they know and what they don't know. I think a lot of the a lot of the fear is kind of this you don't know what you don't know. And that's where I think a course like what you offer is so great because it gives this overall base knowledge and kind of can poke holes of like, oh, that's something that I should learn more about. I think that is really beneficial. I think the issues tend to come up more with the designers I work with that are more seasoned is they're starting to get a hold of what it is these projects are like and feel very confident in how they can handle it to a certain extent, but then inserting themselves with a variety of different contractors or different client types, then that's where kind of the challenges start to arise because they don't always know what their role is Mm -hmm. in the project, which can cause confusion for them, the contractor and the client. And there's a lot of blurry lines. Right. That is what I'm hearing as well. And and I understand both camps. And then I did get a reach out from a woman who's starting in the business. And she said, how can I add this in right away? And, you know, there's lots of ways that you can be doing that and build that experience that she and I went through. And, and that's why, and and how I started just really embracing all of the designers. And, you know, initially I never thought seasoned designers would, would really be interested in it. Right. I mean, what, what can I offer them? But I have, I have a, 
three girlfriends from design school and they are all doing what I do and they're scattered throughout the country. And we have a group text. And one day we were in the group text and I thought, well, of course, this is what I can offer seasoned designers. We are constantly throwing ideas out, bouncing off, you know, issues we're having and the amount of confidence that comes out of that, even after 28 years of doing this, mm-hmm. I still seek it out. And I thought, well, of course, this is what people need. They need mm-hmm. their girlfriends, right? They need that, that, yeah, you're on the right track, even if it's just a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you need other people's opinions so that you can sit and think about and weigh your options and say, okay, well, these people thought this and these people thought that. And I'm going to actually take the path in between, you know. And that's when I started really focusing on the seasoned designers, because I really saw this. Most of the questions I get are from your two camps, right? The ones who are doing a little bit of it and the ones who want to add in and the ones who are, you know, like you said, trying to become the seasoned. Mm-hmm. And, and so I love that I can encompass all of them and include all of them. And, and I think there's just so much knowledge sharing that's possible within that from the season, from the mentors, you know, you can have, you know, become that, that big sister inside the group. I really, I can't believe it took me this long to, to really embrace the designers because I am such a a fan of my industry and really see it as a profession and want to elevate it every time I can. I'm glad that we can create this because what we're doing, the way I've packaged the course is they will get the consumer course because quite frankly, if they are asking their clients to do something, they need to know the why, the how, and the when. And then we're creating this private Facebook group for just us. There is There are no clients in there. I, I will weed them all out because we need to have honest discussions about managing the clients because that is you know, that third component inside of any renovation project. And it is, it's very similar to doing a decorating project, but it has its own level of anxiety because the stakes are typically much higher. You have someone moving in or you have, you know, someone living in chaos. You know, it's, it's a level of emotion from a client that, that you're not traditionally used to in in a more of a decorating job. And then there's always going to be these designer trainings on how to market yourself, who to approach first if you're new. And, you know, just all of these things that we've all had to do, those of us who've been doing it, we've all had to do along the way that will elevate their position and standing in their communities. That really excites me to get that underway. I think it is really exciting. What roadblocks do you see them hitting aside from their Mm. confidence? Are there any sort of more technical? I mean, are they worried about their technical skills or, you know, what do you see or hear about? Yeah, I think that's definitely a concern when you encounter something that you don't do on a regular basis, or maybe it's a new issue that you've never seen before. I think that that can be a huge roadblock. And I think one of the things that comes up is, a little bit of panic <laughs> because if we're human, <laughs> you know, I mean, we work on expensive projects. Yeah. The more, you know, and I talk about this as I'm not practicing anymore. I still consider myself a designer though. You are. And yeah. um, people are spending a lot of money yeah. and you want to do your best because it's not just the panic about what you see on the job site that maybe you don't understand. It's the panic about that. It's the panic that, the client's going to say something to their best friend who's going to say someone to their best friend, right? 
There's yeah. panic. Oh, I might get sued. There's a mm-hmm. lot of panic. But when emotion is so high like that, we have very little intelligence. We can't come to a great solution when we're in that position. So I see that as a huge roadblock, letting emotion overtake the situation where things aren't being necessarily done with a clear head. And circling back to something you were just talking about with like having the opportunity to express some of those challenges, questions, whatever it is to a group setting, allowing yourself to have the space to process what's coming up for you. And also just take a pause and say, let me figure this out. Because I think that's something that designers often forget is that just because someone's asking you something in the moment, Mm -hmm. and this goes for a piece of construction knowledge or just making a request of you, hey, can we add another bathroom onto the scope, right? You always have the opportunity to pause and say, let me get back to you. And I think that that is can be a secret weapon for you. So when you encounter things and you are feeling that panic rise, know that you might not be in the best place to problem solve and then take it back to a group, take it back to some of your design friends, get a little clarity around it, and then you can go back to the client. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. And you're right. And again, that somewhat leans into confidence in saying, I can say, I'll let you know tomorrow. The job won't come to a screeching halt, depending on the decision. If I take 24 hours to just breathe and figure out what my next step is, I I agree. And I think people, women tend to want to, at least I can speak from my experience that designers tend to be people pleasers, right? We want everybody to be happy. And this guy is asking me a question and I better have an answer. Even last week, I asked a contractor to explain to me what on earth he was talking about. And that's 28 years in and I didn't know what he was talking about. And I said it with confidence and interest. I wasn't accusatory. And he took a moment, explained it all to me. And I said, great, now I know what that is. And I do find that women get can sometimes use their their insecurities as and it can come out as a little bit of an aggression. And that's just because they're insecure about what they're doing. And I find that shuts the men that I work with on construction projects down because I'll see a client do it, right? I'll see her, you know, coming, you know, trying to throw her weight around and really not knowing what she's talking about. And then she gets a bit aggressive and they just, you can see them shutting down. And because I've witnessed that enough, and I'm sure I have slipped into that pattern myself enough, you know, in the early years, I know that that, that just defeats all purpose, right? It, it doesn't move any ball down any field. And so I think having a group of us, now we can't obviously be in the moment in that room, but I think if they learn to, um, to come at things with more of a, an inquisitive attitude, I find even if I mostly understand something, I'll I'll ask the plumber. I'm like, why are you doing it that way? Because, you know, not every plumber is going to do something the same way. Mm -hmm. And just simply showing interest in what they're doing. I find the rewards are tenfold, right? That plumber, first of all, feels valued and, you know, that his work is being complimented and he's educating me. So the next time, if I'm working with another plumber, I'll say, hey, I saw it this way. You know, why are you doing it that way? Or have you seen it this way? And I think that that is such an incredible lesson that I was very blessed to learn from other women I worked for um, in my early years. And I just, honestly, hindsight has shown me how valuable 
valuable those lessons were in the moment, I didn't get it, right? I was the new kid. I was the junior designer. I was literally carrying all the bags and just trying to keep up. But looking back and seeing how these women approached projects and how my knowledge grows after every single project still, and that part, I I really that gets me going. That gets me excited about those projects. So how do you think designers will will respond? I mean, I know at least in smaller towns, there is some unfounded, I think, thoughts that designers compete with each other. And so they're all very guarded about what they'll share, you know, who they're working for. And now I I don't necessarily tell people who I'm working for because I find that to be private, but mm-hmm. I will talk about projects. Obviously, on social media, we'll, we'll take photos of where I am. I don't say the address and the, the name of the homeowner, but I do find over the years that, that designers tend to talk in, in broad terms to each other. They don't want to get into the weeds. They don't want to, quote, give away secrets. I personally don't subscribe to that. I think that there's enough work out for all of us mm-hmm. that uh, if they if they wanted to hire you, Desi, they wouldn't want to hire me for who knows how many different reasons. Do, mm-hmm. do you think that that would be, you know, how would you approach that as a stumbling block for designers? Mm. So I think that that is a stumbling block, but I also think that people are a lot more generous and open than we often expect them to be. That has been something that I have been so pleasantly surprised with within my own group coaching program, the willingness of people to share. And I think that knowing you and knowing the community that you want to create, and that's something that you've been talking a ton about. And that's very much the same for me is that group program is not just about the content and the coaching, but it's about the community that forms as well. And Knowing that if you're talking a lot about the community, I think you're going to attract people who are interested in having the community there. And so the people who don't want to share resources or maybe want to just join and be on the sidelines even, right? That's totally fine. I'm definitely in the camp of that there's plenty of plenty of work to go around and that the more that we share, the more it elevates the industry as a whole. I think also there's a little bit of a challenge there with wanting to connect, but also feeling very vulnerable connecting. It all goes back to confidence. I mean, really? So, or just not wanting to be perceived as not knowing at all. And so I see that once one person starts opening up about their challenges, everyone raises their hand and say, yeah, me too. Or that used to be my problem. And this is how I solved for it. Or there's someone who's newer to the business and said, oh, I didn't even know that could be a problem. Now I've got my eye out for it. And so I think that just knowing what your intention is for that community, that is what's going to be fostered. So that's what I would expect if I were going to join. I would be expecting people to be there to be open and honest. And my hope, and that would, of course, be the hope. My also thought is that since this is an online community, this isn't necessarily the designer down the street. And so if you are openly sharing and you are you know, sincerely concerned about oversharing with a competitor or who you may think of as a competitor, I'm hoping that because it's online, you know, you'll be talking to people 
all across the country, across the world, wherever, learning from each other. And, and my hope is that that will also build your confidence that it's good to share. It is, it's mm -hmm. valuable to elevate, like you said, to elevate the profession. We need to be sharing. We need, we need to learn from each other. I think, you know, one of the emotions that I love to approach a lot of things with is just curiosity. And so what can you learn even from, maybe you don't want to actively engage in the community, but what could you even just learn or be exposed to by scrolling through what others have posted? If you went in there with the spirit of curiosity, or even if you went to the, the job site with a spirit of curiosity, like you were saying with the plumber, it's like, hmm, what might I not know today? What could right. I possibly pick up that I'll use down the road? I mean, I think that just makes everything so much more fun. Absolutely. Got teased about two weeks ago because we started a new project and it was a contractor I've worked with for probably uh, more than 10 years. And it was the first day and I was giddy. And he's like, mm -hmm. you're having a, a good day, aren't you? And I said, yep, I love it. I love a new day. I, I mean, I love a new project first day. So filled with you know, hope and promise and unknowns. And I just love it. And he looked at me and he's like, to me, Renee, it's a new job and a new day. That's it. <laughs> I said, well, I'll bring the fun. And he's like, I know you will, you know, and, yeah. you know, and that's, well, fine. you're both, you're both there on the job site. I'm glad one of you is enjoying yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I, I agree with you. And I think people about the plumber, and I think people need to see, to reframe that question and answer that I did. Right. So I'm asking the plumber and it's, I'm actually going to get a, several things out of it. One, I'm showing interest in validating his work, which mm -hmm. I can assure you a lot of plumbers don't feel that that is happening from designers mm -hmm. Two, I'm learning. I'm going to take mm -hmm. what he's teaching me and take it to my next job. So I'm elevating my own level of knowledge and maybe I won't use that knowledge, but chances are I will. Or when someone says it out loud, I'll go, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. No longer will I have to ask, even if I'm not inputting about it. I now know and can follow along. And I think that's where designers really uh, struggle. Like we said, they're afraid to put their hand in the air and say, I don't know what you just said. And so the worst thing I could see a designer do and I have done seen in the past is they smile, they nod and they move forward and it becomes a colossal error. And you do reach a point, like you said, these are expensive. There's a lot at stake with these projects. And sometimes the designer to steal a skiing phrase gets out over their skis. That's what I want to help avoid because mm -hmm. at that point, they're hurting not only that project, but their prospects for more projects, especially in the smaller communities. I'm in a very small community. We all know each other. And uh, the contractors may move around from firm to firm, but they take me with them. And I know that there are designers that they don't take with them because mm -hmm. they know that they're just essentially someone else they have to manage. I want designers to not be that person. I really truly want them to be someone that the guys take with them from firm to firm. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about that I think we should really name here is a trusting relationship Yeah, that you're able to establish with the contractor, whoever it is on the job site in expressing that interest and care in what they're doing. I think that puts the relationship at a whole nother level. And so that way, when it comes time for, like you said, where the designer does need to stand her ground and 
whether it's making sure she's clear on the information or if she's seen something, it's like, no, that really needs to be done this way because that's what I discussed with the homeowner and it needs to be pulled off the wall and you need to redo that. Right. And so when you take the time to really show interest in others and gain an appreciation and understanding of what their work is, I think that that definitely comes back to you and will serve you so well in the future. I couldn't agree more really, truly, because I, Years ago, I was brought on a project by a client. And in the beginning, that's really how I got in. When I went out on my own, I was brought in by clients. The contractors and architects didn't know what to do with me and thought I really was brought in to bring furniture at the end. Mm -hmm. And this contractor, we did a two-year ground-up home, big budget. And the contractor and I became friends. The supervisor was a big construction company. And I still work with him today. He's, I think, at his third firm since that first job. And he told me at the end of that job, he said, you know, Renee, when I heard she was hiring an interior designer. Now, the plans had been drawn for probably a year. The project had been bid out. I was truly brought in at the last minute before it started. Mm -hmm. And he said, I got to tell you, that was the worst day. I figured we'd be way over budget and we would be way over our time estimate. And I looked at him and I said, and how'd we work out? And he goes, we were on time and under budget. And that is, that's the perception more often than not of a designer in that field. And I don't think it's earned. I don't know where it comes from, but it is something that I still have to battle when I'm working with new teams. Mm-hmm. And, and that is with all of my knowledge and experience. And I mm-hmm. think there's nothing that you can do, quite frankly, to avoid it because I'm still experiencing it other than move through it, mm-hmm. prove yourself. But I think knowing that is powerful. And I think designers get into those positions and think they're the only one. They think this is only happening to me mm-hmm. or, or they can see through me and I, they can see I don't have the experience. And frankly, it's not personal. They are lumping you into this stereotype of what does an interior designer have to do on, an, uh, on a construction project. And so, uh, again, I just think putting it out there levels the playing field so that if it does happen, they can say to themselves, oh yeah, I remember Renee told us this is normal. It it still happens to her. Again, like with my girlfriends and and our group texts, we run into this and I will, from a job site, I'll text them and be like, they're being mean to me, you know, and, and they're like, go get them. Just show them that you don't, you know, that you know your stuff. And because of course we're always going to, you know, well, maybe what's wrong, you know, And having that backup, having that support, like we've said countless times, the confidence that you have a place on that job site, I think just elevates everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think when we do encounter certain attitudes, words said by the people on the job site, if it touches a place where we have that insecurity, it stings. and it validates kind of what you're afraid is true about yourself. And so I think you don't necessarily have to know everything, but if you know enough to help figure it out and know enough that you know what the next right step will be, or you know you have the community to lean on, I think that that can allow it to 
gloss over a little bit more. You don't have to make it mean anything about you because we always have to remember other people's words are coming through their lens, their personal experience. It's completely possible that they just got off a project where the interior designer did throw the project way off schedule, way off budget. We don't know. But their interaction with you very often has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. And then do you hear from your clients, it can be a bit unnerving being the only girl on the job site. And while I'm really quite used to it, I actually enjoy it. There was a project recently where a contractor was brought in by the homeowner and I didn't particularly like him. (laughs) And um, (laughs) thought he was kind of condescending and rude to some of the other guys, not to me but to some of the other guys. And I turned to a contractor that I'd worked with for years. I said, I guess I've been really lucky. And he is like, yeah, you've been really lucky because this isn't that uncommon. Do you find that some of your clients are, are intimidated to go on job sites? Because you, you have to be there sometimes daily, sometimes multiple times a day. And, and that can be, I've heard people telling me that that's a roadblock that they, they struggle with. Basically, again, the confidence to go onto a job site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure that comes up. And it's even interesting um, to see how it varies by state, since I do have clients across the US and even internationally. And there are certain areas where, you know, I hear it's an issue a lot more. And I think we, you know, could probably guess different regions. But that's certainly something that comes up. And I, I think that the more we can start to envision ourselves as part of the team. Mm -hmm. And I think that really comes to, and I haven't seen the full course, but I assume you talk about this of like picking off that relationship with the client and the contractor, right? Because I think that from the very beginning, we want to start to establish that teamwork approach and start to establish that everyone's in it together and that everyone has a seat at the table. But first, you have to believe that you have the seat at the table before you can really, even you have no idea what the contractor even thinks. Maybe they say something condescending, maybe they don't, but you need to believe you've got a seat first. And then that's going to really impact how you show up in that relationship with the, the triangle of you, the client, and the contractor. Working on that type of confidence is really key. I agree. And inside the consumer course, constantly saying you are a team member, you are not just the client. You know, you've got to get out of that client and service provider roles because while you are the client, and that does add a little level of trickiness to it, you must be a full fledged team member. And same goes for an interior designer because the interior designer is also balancing their role as the designer for the client, which has a very different level of responsibility and a different management skill set Mm -hmm. when you were working with a client versus when you're working with the contractors. And I agree. I think I, I see more designers hesitate to insert themselves into a team from the beginning. And then when they build their confidence as the job goes along, they're trying then to insert Mm -hmm. themselves as a team member. And the team, you know, for better or for worse has gelled. And they're looking at you going, there's no room yet. You you know, what are you you doing? And and Mm -hmm. you can't necessarily blame the team at that point, right? They've got their, you know, relationships 
down and I need the designers to stand up for themselves at the very beginning. And that can be challenging. And I, I admit that because you're not always brought in early enough. So they're more often than not, I'm brought in after most of the team has been established. So it's upon me to quickly insert myself and become a team member and not waste any more time. Um, because even a couple of weeks on a project, a very big project, a couple of weeks is, is a long time. And then to, to start establishing that role of I'm your colleague can be challenging, can be even more challenging than when you do it in the very beginning. Yeah. And I think it could be so confusing for the client too. Absolutely. When you don't take that role as one of the core members of the team because they don't know who to contact when there's certain issues. It causes lots of inefficiencies in your day because they're calling the wrong person about some issue and then you're playing telephone and it creates a lot of other issues just besides not feeling like you are belonging on the job site, but there's actual project implications that that will arise from it not being a team approach. And so I think that can even be helpful to think about where maybe you don't feel like you've got the confidence to like fully be at the table and it's not enough motivation for you to do it with that little bit of insecurity there. But when we think about a greater why of like, this is in service of the end product and the client relationship and all of that, I think it can be a little bit easier to insert ourselves and, you know, put ourselves out there. I agree. And same with the flip reverse, with the reverse relationship between the contractor and the client. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, the designer has been with that client longer than the contractor has been with that client. Mm -hmm. And so more often than not, the interior designer knows kind of how that client thinks, how that client processes, Mm -hmm. their likes, their dislikes. And so establishing with the contractor the pros of them going through the interior designer, not mandating it because that implies that they're not allowed to do something, but showing the contractor how much value can be added, including you in that process and keeping that straighter line. You can't Think of number of times the contractor has asked the client something and she has said, no, no, no. And because she didn't understand it. And then, you know, then I go into a meeting and I look at it and I said, why didn't you run it through me? Of course, you're going to do that way. And the client goes, oh, that sounds great. You know, and the contractor is looking like, oh, my gosh, I just lost half a day because I went to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, establishing yourself as the conduit to between the contractor and the actual process and the client is is critical in the beginning. And like you said, it establishes your role for not only that contractor, but for the client. The client now knows to go through you in order to get that expertise lens on whatever it is that's gone wrong or changing on a job site, which happens all the time. Hmm. So I agree. And again, that's on the, the interior designer's role to establish that, that line of communication. Yeah. And I just want to circle back. You said the word value, and I want to highlight that because there's so much that an interior designer brings to a project and brings to that contractor relationship, which is really what you were touching on. And often clients who are looking to get into more renovations, more new builds, I find that they want to be networking and establishing these relationships with potential referral partners. And it feels like this huge ask of like, will you talk to me? 
right? Like I'm not bringing anything to the table here. You're doing me a favor by, by meeting me for coffee. And so I think just remembering the value that you bring to a project and a great exercise for all your listeners to even do would be to make themselves list out what are 20 reasons that I am a valuable contributor to that team, or what are 20 ways that I bring value to this construction company and really start to build that evidence for yourself. And it becomes a lot easier than I think to one, feel comfortable reaching out and making those new connections. And then two, once you make the new connection, talking about it in a really powerful way. I think that's incredibly important to do. Mm -hmm. And one we should all be doing, even whether you're seasoned or new, because we do forget, we do undervalue what we do all day long because we do it all day long, right? We don't Mm -hmm. understand. I have learned so much about that in building the course. I have a woman helping me and she has never done a renovation project ever. Mm -hmm. And she, that was just luck that she happened to be on my team. And the questions she would ask were mind blowing. You know, she asked, I put sub in um, one of the lists of, you know, terms you should use. And she's like, what's a sub? How can you not know that? And then of course I'm like, oh my gosh, that means other people don't know what that means. You know, and it's just so hard for interior designers. We're we're so in our work all day, every day. And again, often working alone, we don't realize the amount of incredibly valuable knowledge we have. And then I also find people joke, especially since I've been promoting this course and being out there talking about construction, I've had friends in my personal life say, I never really knew that you knew all of that. And I said, well, you know, it's not exactly cocktail party conversation. Let me tell you about this plumbing install I watched today, (laughs) right? So it's not something that that naturally comes up in a conversation and therefore it gets discredited or it gets forgotten. And so I think even seasoned designers like myself could write down a list of 20 um, things that we bring value to both clients and contractors. Yeah. And just the intricacies of a design project you know, I was just thinking how closely it relates to, I mean, you've got kids and when you have like a new nanny or a new babysitter for you, you're running around in the day, feeding them, getting them to the right place. And it just is kind of on autopilot. And all of a sudden you're going to leave them with someone new and you're like, oh, well, they like this yogurt, but not that kind of yogurt. They need to have a snack at this time or otherwise they're going to lose it. (laughs) Like here's the address that you need to drop them off for the camp. That same thing with design projects. There's so many little things that go into raising the house, just like it would be for raising a human. And it's so easy to just gloss right over that and forget that the general population does not have that available to them. Exactly. Nor do contractors, nor do architects. mm -hmm. And trust me, I, I am a huge fan. I, I think we all, succeed together. I know that there's stereotypically some stress between the architecture world and the interior design world. And I do what I can to mitigate that and prove one designer at a time what I can that that we are all in this together and that we're actually stronger as a partnership. But to say that I have architectural skills would be overstating my skill set. I have interior architecture skills, but then 
when you're talking about an architect to say they have interior skills while they can draw interiors, they don't view it with the same lens as interior designers do. They just don't. And so there are times, there are projects where some of my key roles is to translate architect speak to client understanding because mm-hmm. there is just so much that goes on in the architectural world that a homeowner, like you said, it's just not in there. You know, they might build a house once. Mm-hmm. They might do three renovations in their whole life. So it's not something that they're constantly involved with. And therefore, even the HGTV shows don't cover enough of the jargon that they truly understand. And so it's the role of an interior designer who not only intimately understands how a client thinks and how they behave in their own home, but how the architectural world is presenting ideas and concepts. And then we are in there in the middle describing it to a point where a client can understand it. Yeah. You're an educator. (laughs) And which I just realized, how perfect is this? You are an educator to your clients, to the others on the team. And now you're using those education skills in a whole new way. And that's why, honestly, why the course, the consumer course is a part of the designer course, because That's what your client should know. That's what you should be educating your client on. And especially for the new designers who are just adding the service or are trying to expand their service, knowing what a client will actually go through and what their responsibilities will be, I think is critical. And trust me, lowers the designer's need to educate the client. So it's a win-win, quite frankly. But I have had some clients say to me, well, I've done a couple of renovations, you know, I feel like I know what I'm doing. And, you know, the pushback is, well, did they all go well? Did they all go smoothly? And did they all, you know, did you manage them the same way? And they're like, oh, well, (laughs) sort of, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. usually what I get sort of, or this one was a disaster, but this one was good. And then, you know, and there's just so much you can learn whether you've done one project, no projects, or five projects, that there's just so much you can learn. And I think this course covers it enough that there is something in there for everyone. And then the designers, I'm hoping that it builds their confidence, builds their own skill sets and knowledge, and then leaning in on the community of women doing, anyone, any designer, doing the same amount, same type of work is just long overdue. Yeah. I think it's going to be such an incredible resource and it does not surprise me at all that the design community found you when you were trying to talk to consumers. (laughs) I'm not surprised at all because there's nothing else like this available, at least that I've seen. You know, and I, I have looked because I was curious. I'm like, what else is out there? And there are some that do a little bit of everything. They cover decorating, they cover renovation, they cover client experience. And I applaud them for doing that. But I think that what's missing is the laser focus attention to just construction. It is such an animal of its own that to sort of lump it into the other components, that's why there is no decorating advice inside this course. There just isn't. There's so much out there that designers can can find on their own. I solely and specifically focused on construction because I do see this need, this, this missing link 
for designers in particular, and, and of course, with homeowners who are taking on their own projects. It's, um, it's a recipe for disaster that, that I do hear. That's what I hear about at cocktail parties, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm told every horror story that's ever been, you know, occurred to any person I've ever known. They never tell me the wins. They only tell me the horror stories. And if I can avoid that for even a few people, that to me is a win. Because again, it elevates our profession. It makes it, it makes it a profession as opposed to just a hobby. And I do sometimes hear those comments about what I do must be fun. Um, You don't get a lot of professionals saying that you don't, you know, you don't walk up to your friends who are lawyers and say, well, what you do must be fun. So I, if I can build and boost the professional level of interior design, I I will do it. Well, you're on your way. It's already (laughs) happening, right? (laughs) Chipping slowly away at that. (laughs) So what do you see? I mean, we all know we're in a building boom right now. And what do you see the next challenge for, and I'm asking personally, for interior designers? You know, where do you see the next couple of years? Because I've, I've seen some industry articles about, you know, the predictions, and I don't necessarily buy into a lot of predictions. But, mm-hmm. you know, what do you see as, as sort of the next challenge for, for our industry? Mm, that's a broad question. I would say immediate challenges being managing client expectations. And also I would say learning to plan for projects in a new way. I think even the seasoned designers who have really dialed in systems and timelines and processes for how they take clients through this whole COVID thing has just thrown everyone for a loop. And there's a little bit of holding on to old ways of doing things, I think, in terms of being frustrated with what is, as opposed to planning for what is. And so I think that that we're going to be continuing to encounter a lot of these challenges going forward for quite some time. They're not going to just get resolved overnight and start really adjusting expectations for ourselves too, in what we think it is that we need to deliver in what timeline and how we can maybe build in more flexibility into project timelines. Not to say that we'll just let them go however they go, but I think there's, because there is a lot of people pleasing in the design industry, we want to serve our clients and serve them quickly and get them their project as fast as possible. And I think this has shown us that people are willing to wait. They're willing to be more flexible. And so maybe you don't need to be overworking quite as much as you have in the past, trying to hit all those deadlines as fast as you can. Like maybe there's a little bit more grace here for all of us. I couldn't agree more. And I'm hopefully optimistic that what we will take away from this 18 months of chaos is a new, newfound respect for patience. I have been very blessed. My private clients have been incredibly patient Mm -hmm. and to the point where it has surprised me at times that they have stayed patient. And I have one client who who works full time. She's in the banking industry. And she said, you know what, what are we going to do? And I Mm -hmm. said, exactly. What are we going to do? And we're going to wait. And she said, in the end, it will come in. And I said, you know, can I have my other clients call you? (laughs) (laughs) But I think we are learning that. I agree with you. It's this whole, you know, prime membership 
everything mm-hmm. arrives in a day or two days or, you know, nobody wants that or everybody wants that immediate gratification. And while I understand it and, and I too fall victim to that, mm-hmm. um, there is a beauty in the patience. And I was just talking to a client yesterday who's actually going to push off her very large renovation because she hasn't even moved into the house. And she said, mm-hmm. you know what? I know the process that I want to go through with you. And right now my life doesn't support that. Mm -hmm. And I thought earth shattering and incredibly true. And I said, yes, you're going to want to enjoy this process. And my clients do enjoy this process. Now there are always issues and frustrations, Mm -hmm. but the overarching feeling that my clients have at the end of their projects is that they enjoyed it. And it should be enjoyable. You are spending a ton of money at whatever budget Mm -hmm. it is for you. It's a ton of money. And and to think that you would go through that whole process and not enjoy it is quite sad, actually. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm hopeful, honestly, that that is the lesson that we will learn going forward. And I agree with you. I think the designers also need, I myself included, need to learn that lesson, that this immediate response isn't always advisable. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes when you think on something a little longer, you have a more refined answer. It may still be the same answer, but it might be a slightly more in-depth answer. And I do find myself, you see your inbox, it's full. You want to go in there, you want to bang it all out and get everybody happy again. And I find that because there have been issues outside of our control, the days that it's taken me a day or two to get back to them, first of all, no one's complained. And my answers are typically a little bit more insightful mm-hmm. because I've had that moment to think about it, ruminate on it, maybe reach out to a few vendors to find out some more information. I'm hoping that I will keep that, that skill set when the world starts to sort of write itself again, whenever that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd love to see that as a, a collective lesson. Right. Because in you showing up in that way for your clients and seeing the impact that it has for your you know, role as a business owner and how you operate your business and the impact it has for your clients too, then you're being an example of what could be for somebody else and letting themselves have a little bit more, we'll right. call it flexibility, but grace. Yeah. yeah. And again, back to the community. That's something that I think if seasoned designers can be open and honest about inside this community, it allows the newer designers to go, okay, I want to do that too. And and I think there is, unfortunately, I think there is a need to see more seasoned designers come clean with the reality. You know, again, it's at HGTV, it's whitewashed. Any problem is solved in a two and a half minute commercial. Well, if only, right? <laughs> so I think if seasoned designers can can be in this community and be truthful that we make mistakes, that we have to own missteps sometimes. And that's okay because it's a part of all of the process. It's a part of the construction process. It's a part of the learning process. And it's a part of real life process. I think that is is what one of my goals is. I really want to encourage the seasoned designers who may think, oh, I know this all, to understand that there is a, a greater good in sharing our knowledge with the rest of the community because we're all in this profession because we love it and because we want to see it succeed in a professional manner. And that's really 
the core of my goal. Yeah, so valuable. I think what you're doing is amazing. I love that you only focus on interior designers because there's tons of business coaches out there. But the fact that you know this crazy business and, mm-hmm. and all of these various roles that we're constantly playing and uh, you know, I'm envious of some of my my friends who, you know, go into the office, they clock in, they sit down, they do their one kind of silo task and they leave at the end of the day. And, and that could be, you know, a doctor who's doing the same thing every day. Every job is different. Every job is new. Every client is new. Every, you know, and it's um, it's definitely you got to stay on your toes a lot. Yeah. Um, well, and I think you have to be really intentional in this business mm-hmm. with how you want to structure your business. Yeah. You know, whether it's the types of services you offer, whether it's the hours of day that you want to work or not work or not work. <laughs> I mean, that was huge for me when huge. I when our kids were little, like I wanted to take them to preschool. That was really yeah. important and so that was a right. line in the sand of I'm not going to talk to any contractors before 9 a.m. cuz I'm yep. doing pre- preschool drop off, you know? Right. So we have to be intentional because in uh, there are so many moving pieces yeah. that there's always going to be some question to be answered, someone who needs you. And so on um, this world of 24 hour news, they think everybody, you know, is reachable at any moment. And I learned that years ago, I was on a construction, really big project, and there was a lot going on and you couldn't just disappear for hours at end. And a client emailed me at 10 o'clock at night and I knew I had a crazy day the next day. So I thought I'm going to respond now because I'm still up and I hit send. And within four minutes, I had a response. I was like, oh, wait. No, no, we're not chatting. I was trying to get ahead of my to-do list. And sure enough, we ended up chatting for another 20 minutes. So my trick, you can teach all your designers, is I will do that same email at 10 o'clock at night and leave it in my draft file. And Mm -hmm. at 9 a.m., I hit send, 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 and boom, they've all been sent and everybody's been, you know, all questions answered. But, you know, you learn, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk to you at this hour. I'm about to go to bed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to get get boomerang where you can schedule your emails? Yes, I know. Well, my draft does that. My draft does that. And then then, it's like that mental capacity of, I have to remember to. To do it. Well, now I'm, I'm an old dog with, with that trick is well ingrained, but it is true. (laughs) Or texting. Now that there's texting, I communicate. I have an 89 year old client. She texts me. God bless her. Right. She's texting me. And you do, you have to be very careful um, because it's a slippery slope of clients. The minute they think they can reach you at 6am, they will be reaching you at 6am. And and it's, it is, it's a very big challenge that, that again, people pleasing designers easily fall into. And I'm right there with them. Even after all these years, I'm still learning. Yeah. And I, like I say to my clients, people do what works. It's not like they're trying to take advantage of you nope. for the most part. It's just like, oh, I got a response. Now I can yep. get a hold of them. Correct. That's why we, when my group program, we have modules on people pleasing, on setting boundaries and saying no setting communication guidelines with your clients because overwhelm, which is the title of the course is out of overwhelm. It's a lot about time management, but there's all these other pieces that really filter into how your time is being disrupted and not being used effectively. And definitely if anyone wants to sort of dip their toe into what this combination of time management with mindset would look like, 
definitely head to desicresswell.com forward slash daily planner and get a copy of the free interior designers daily get it done planner. And that's going to help you really use your time effectively. It's going to save you so much time by doing it. And it's also going to make sure, like we talked about at the beginning of our call, we're using our time in alignment with how we want to be living our life and the goals that we've set in our business, because there's so many opportunities to get distracted, whether it's by client calls or just shiny pennies of, oh, I should go try that marketing tactic. We need to be clear on where we're headed. And there's only so many hours in the day. So this planner really helps combine that blend of practical tools and the mindset work that I do with my clients. So definitely go check that out. And if anyone ever has questions about what we've talked about today or just wants to say hi to me, you can hop on over to Desi Cresswell on Instagram. I love to connect with people over there as well. Well, and I think what you're offering is critical, not only for interior designers, but lots of other working people. That's where it becomes so important to be dialed in on what your different priorities are. And then also you can start to look at it more holistically where it's like, yeah, three hours to do a volunteer thing for an organization you support or your son's school. Like that might be a big chunk of your day one day, but maybe you're only doing that once per month. And we can look at it of, well, how does this look like from the overall picture? And Also, then you're able to really intentionally serve the different buckets that you want to prioritize in your life. So if connecting with your son in a certain way is important, we can intentionally put that on your calendar and say, this is what I'm doing to fill that bucket this month. And that's enough for me right now, as opposed to this space of never enough or feeling like we're half in, half out in all the different areas. Right. Agreed. hundred percent. And and also with the renovation work, as opposed to more of the decorating work, I feel that it's easier to stay in control of your schedule with decorating work because there's not that many surprises, right? That come up along the way. I do find that designers newer to renovation get very hung up on that because the phone can ring at any moment and it could be a crisis. And so they are very unaccustomed to being that accessible. And quite frankly, if they're not accessible, you could be the cause for losing a half day's work or whatever the case may be, depending on the problem. So it is a bigger challenge to move from the mindset of decorating where you're structuring, you know, maybe you're making weekly meetings with the client. And then you might be on your own doing marketplace searches for fabrics and things like that. That's much more under your control versus when you're on a construction site and they find a surprise in the wall. And if quite frankly, they can't reach you for five hours and they head home for the day, that's a half a day that went without work. Now, will that be a problem? Depends on the project, depends on the length of the project, depends on quite frankly, almost a hundred different things. So I find that designers do struggle with that because they want that ultimate control. And with renovation, there are lots of things that are not under their control, but that they have to be in the loop on. And while I, again, I think people who do it a lot who are seasoned sort of enjoy that thrill, which is probably not very healthy, But I do always caution people with that when they're really new into renovation, taking a day or two to get back to a contractor can be really altering a project in in a negative way. 
I think there are opportunities to work around that though, because that constant availability for pinging is, is such a drain on your productivity throughout the day with all of the task switching and the amount of time that it takes to get back into whatever it is you are doing. And so I have some clients who will do their communication for like 15 minutes every hour on the hour. You know, it doesn't have to be five hours that you're giving yourself of uninterrupted time. But even if you can give yourself 45 minute blocks where you're in it, and then you do a check. And I think the more you can communicate too with the construction team and say, these are the times that I'm going to be checking messages. Let's plan to connect. Do you have anything that you anticipate me needing? And even just planning around different phases of the project that you're in. If you know it's going to be a phase of the project, say you're doing demo and you know it's more likely that you're going to need to have that more immediate response, then maybe you don't plan for those huge swaths of time to have your phone put away. But when can you plan for those so that you do get your heads down time? Exactly. And the woman in particular that I'm thinking of was, was telling me she wanted to, uh, that she works part-time. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, that is a challenge that you will run into with construction. She works Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I said, you know, unfortunately there could be issues on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you will have to establish some sort of communication process um, not that also the client is aware of that, mm-hmm. that, that you don't become the stumbling block in the project. And, and of course, with advance notice, and, and, and scheduling, you know, again, it comes down to all sorts of communication in the beginning and establishing mm-hmm. those patterns, which is what will, you know, ultimately lead to a designer into a successful project. But yes, no, I, I agree. You can't be, you know, the old days of pagers and being <laughs> accessible at the, in the moment. But this woman basically was trying to tell me she was going to manage a project on Monday and then she'd come back on Wednesday and nothing in between. And I said, you know, that may work in certain parts of the project, but it will not work ultimately on every project for all stages. And so to prepare her mentally so that she was being proactive and not reactive or being a problem on the job, which of course would then cause another issue. Yeah. And that's just a great opportunity to make a decision ahead of time about how you want to handle that. Right. So if she does want to check in periodically through the day, she knows what that plan is as opposed to like checking her phone constantly, which then she might as well just be working. Be working. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's a slippery slope as we all know with all these Mm -hmm. phones and devices that are constantly at our fingertips. Mm. It's hard to disconnect and it's so important to disconnect. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. So this was great, Desi. I love what you're doing for the industry. I love the support that um, you're doing and you're doing it from a position of knowledge. I tend to be a little snooty about business coaches who, who think they get the interior design world. It's amazing the number of skill sets an interior designer needs to have in order to be successful. And I think that gets undervalued or overlooked by people who don't really understand the business. So I think I it's, would agree with that. Yep. it's amazing. So this is great. I'm going to keep you know my eye out for more designers and, and hopefully they, they hear the message and it resonates with them. I, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Um, we're going to launch on the 16th and then you know have hopefully both the consumer and the designer course running concurrently. I so appreciate you having me on. It's so fun to chat with you and I just love love that you are offering this to the industry. I think it's going to be so valuable and really hope that a lot of designers take you up on the offer. Me too. I think there's, there's power in numbers, right? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Desi. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone, as I assure you, we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.